0: The things that I want to share with you today actually just, um, I didn't know it was going to happen, but they just work in tandem, I believe, with some things that Brother Tim had to say this morning, and I appreciate his work today. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it, Um, In God is our peace and our reason for having comfort in Him and our, our trust in Him in that way, and so he went to the book of Philippians, and that's exactly what I'm going to do as well. My thoughts are from the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. The Apostle Paul here will say something that has such depth and significance of meaning. There are words of power here that I'd like for us to consider. The Apostle Paul writes, And my God shall supply all your need. According to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Does anybody here have any needs? Are young people among us still at home, young children who consider their place in life? They have parents, they're in school, they have friends that sometimes are challenging, sometimes things are confusing. And hard. They're trying to figure out what is right and wrong. Anybody have needs? Our teenagers, we have such wonderful young people. But teenagers are facing things that those of us who are older, we remember, and even some more challenges in different ways. They look at their future, they look at their past as small children, and as teenagers, they look ahead and they say, wow, who am I gonna be? What am I gonna be about? What am I gonna do for a living? Am I gonna to go to college? And what am I going to study? What kind of friends am I gonna choose? Clarifying friendships and whether they're good or bad. And sometimes there's conflict with parents, and they feel like it's hard. And sometimes when we get to the place in life as teenagers and we realize, wow, I have this thing called choice. And, and I have some power in my choices and I'm starting to experience some consequences of good choices and maybe some consequences of some tough choices, some bad choices. And I, it's hard. What do I do and how do I navigate? Does anybody have needs? The college age, young people who... Wonderful young people we have among us here and away at college. They're looking ahead and they're transitioning into an adult life and again wrestling with choices of good choices and choices that bring some painful consequences and sorting through. And again facing challenges with friends and realizing who really are there for them. And looking at older parents. Evaluating hardship of older people. Maybe even sickness. Maybe even your own sickness and sickness and ill health of members of the church and otherwise. It's hard. Those who are contemplating marriage, who am I going to marry? What am I going to do with the rest of my life? What kind of person am I going to be as I come into full adulthood? It's challenging. Anybody have needs? Young married people, marriage can have its own challenges. Questioning, how do I go about my role as a husband and as a wife? And I didn't realize all of the pieces, the moving parts of this. And how do we maintain a unity? And how do we work in our personal growth and still bring glory to God? Respecting one another, loving one another, and fulfilling the obligation that God has in our roles as husband and wife. Parents. Young. And those... Nights that seem to go on and on with newborns and months old. And man, God, please get us through. And then there are (laughs) two. And newness of this will of this child who says, no, I want to do this. And parents of young people who are challenged with their own identity, parents who are trying to walk with God, hold the line of boundary as is appropriate for a parent, and yet still trying to maintain a connection with their child in the middle of a career, in the middle of attempting to provide for their family, and balance all of the responsibilities that come as a Christian and a parent and a husband and a wife in advancing age in a maturing career and looking out for our brethren and how we can serve them. Looking at needs of one another. How can I help? How do do we help? Advancing age in a decline. Maybe not as energetic, but still passionate and sometimes the days not as passionate for the Lord, wrestling with oneself and saying, well, who really am I? How do I serve God as the decades roll on? What's really valuable? Who's valuable? How do I further develop my relationship with God and serve Him? And then advanced age. How do I spend my future years, whatever they may be, to bring the greatest glory to God. And overcome some of my choices that have set some challenges for me now. And yet, having forgiveness and not dwelling in past failure, but walking in the joy of Jesus Christ and demonstrating the empowerment that Christ gives for His glory. And standing with others, loved ones, who are also facing their challenges in the same way that I am and even beyond. Anybody have any needs? This lesson is about God. Our communication with Him and our deep trust in Him. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul because he said, he wrote to the, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. There's a pattern here. There's an example of exampleship that he provides. And how we approach our needs in seeing God and our communication with Him and our trust in Him makes all the difference. Let's look at some considerations. Paul, who is extraordinarily encouraging regarding his own prayer, he says he prayed unceasingly, Romans 1 verse 9. He prayed always, Colossians 1 verse 3, constantly, 1 Thessalonians 2 13, and night and day most earnestly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul's larger work was that of the preaching of the gospel. Consider his work in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Colossians 1:28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's aim. That was his mission that he would preach the gospel and help present every man complete, Entire, thoroughly furnished as a man, as a woman of God. Well, this is an amazing thought. The apostles were chosen as special ambassadors in this work. Were supernaturally equipped with the Holy Spirit to have access to the mind of God. God's direct revelation of God's knowledge. Surely if ever a work would have been an automatic response it would have been automatically successful with the apostles who had the power of the gospel accessible to them and the supernatural access to the Holy Spirit, that certainly the spread of the gospel would be automatic and that there would be no need for consultation with God. They would just get busy with the process. However, there's an interesting consideration. That Paul urged others to pray for him. In Romans, let's look at three passages. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. Romans 15 and verse 30, Paul says, Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayer, in your prayers to God for me. Well, if Paul had the Holy Spirit and he had the gospel, he was an apostle, why would he need anybody to pray for him? He says, secondly, in Ephesians, for a consideration, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication, supplication for all the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the Gospel. Well, you had the Holy Spirit. You had the Gospel. Why would you need anybody to pray for you? Yet He's saying, pray that I might open my mouth and proclaim the Gospel. Thirdly, Colossians chapter 4, 2 and 3. Colossians 4, 2 and 3. The Apostle Paul writes, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, meanwhile praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. He's saying there for the prayers to be offered that doors would be open for the Gospel to be preached. That's remarkable to me. We look at the first century as this age of miracles, indeed so. Miracles that confirmed the Word of God, that confirmed the validity of the Gospel of Christ, and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But even in this age, there is a request for prayer. That things might turn out in a way that would be favorable towards His mission. Paul and his companions show, I believe, a pretty considerable contrast to many today who act like God's blessing upon the work in the kingdom is rather mechanical and absolute kind of like running a marketing business we look at the the, the profile of uh, uh, of how what the market segment is and what uh, the the Google search is the results and how many buy through what portal and pathway and you know we can just figure that out, it's all in the numbers and figure out the proportions and get busy with producing the result and therefore it happens. But there's more here. Not all of God's blessings are automatic. I'm going to say that again. Not all of God's blessings are automatic. And they're not always mechanical based on what I ask. We we can consider that in all of the aspects that we were talking about earlier, all of our needs that we may have, whether it's education or marriage or career or church, church needs, personal needs, these all fit the category of approaching a God not as a machine. You put in, used to be, you could say put in two quarters, don't say that anymore, or you put in a dollar. Don't say that anymore. Put in your credit card because they don't take coins anymore. You know, you know what I'm saying? Now Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Yeah, they actually took quarters at one point. Some of you may remember the dimes. <laughs> God is no vending machine. The content of Paul's prayers reveal how dependent on the Lord he saw himself to be. Of the approximately 49 instances where Paul either states the content of his own prayers or solicits the prayers of others for specific things, 24 express thanksgiving, 34 involve intercession, and some contain both. Viewing all of these passages, we can conclude three things. First... Paul prayed for things, but mostly for people. Second, he gave thanks almost always for someone else. And third, he prayed about physical things, but usually for spiritual. That's enlightening. Paul's main concerns were neither selfish nor material. His prayers bore out his claim for me to live is Christ philippians 1:21 what was it about paul that made unceasing prayer so natural for him what was it i believe this passage that we've started considering is really the focus and the answer and my god shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory, by Christ Jesus. Let's look at this. He says first, my God. Look at the audacity of the Apostle Paul. My God. He doesn't say our God, although he did in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. He said our God, but that's not what he says here. He says, my God. Does divinity belong as, as a possession only to Paul? Does he have some unique relationship with God that others do not have? Certainly he was an apostle. Well, yes, we are not apostles, but does he have something special that is past that and more core and central to that? He knows, ultimately, that sonship is something that all Christians share with God. So what do we make of this use of his expression, my God? Paul's relationship with God was personal. Paul belonged to God and served him as a faithful servant. As he says in Acts chapter 27, verse 23, he was God's. And if God's was his and he was God's, then God was his father, his owner, his master, and his life. Too often, my God, we hear that phrase in the world today. It's used as words of surprise. Words of surprise. Alone. And and it really undercuts the power of these two words together. Certainly, God made his will known that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We shouldn't utilize idle talk and just use the word God for our own rather meaningless self-expression or our surprise. He's to be respected because He's sovereign. He is, above all, our Creator. He is our great God who has all right to rule. And we are His creation. And the first answer to this in terms of finding How God can supply our every need is to see Him as the God that He is. You know, there's this personal relationship. This personal relationship. So I can talk about And we talk about my wife, my children, my friends, my brethren, in a much more extraordinary yet related way, we can say, My God. My God. Not that He's mine alone. He's all of ours, but He's only ours to the degree that He's each of ours. That He is my God. No amount of sheer will will make God our God. No amount of, I think I can, I think I can. No amount of, I have to work harder and deserve his, 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 his grace, His favor. I've got to do better, I've got to do better. Well, that's okay, but that doesn't change the nature of the relationship that He is my personal God. With a character not of ill will, of meanness, but He is a God of compassion and a God of mercy and grace. Galatians chapter 2.20 brings Paul's heart out in the matter. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself. For me. You see, the the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus to the Apostle Paul would have made little difference if Paul had not wrestled with the implications of it. It wasn't just a majestic voice or a blinding light with facts that he was wrong in his approach of antagonism to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did more than simply get the facts straight. He was moved to the point that when he came into the city, he prays and fasts for days, three days. And he is moved by his Lord. His Lord. And for us to have that same relationship, not apostleship, but core relationship, it's essential that we do the same, that we wrestle with the implications of God being my God. We all must dwell on Christ and Calvary, until we know beyond intellectually, but in the heart, even emotionally, and all of those that our inner being that resonates with the truth of our position before God that God loves us God loves you he loves you all by yourself he loves you when you feel alone he loves you for when you feel you have needs that are too large he feels he loves you when you feel sadness and even when you feel doubt he loves you and you know that's amazing Because he knows all about you. He knows your secret thoughts. He knows our public shame. He knows full well what may be rottenness in our motives and even blackness in our thoughts. Yet, he still loves you. We're invited to come to the cross where Jesus is hanging. wrenching in pain, bleeding, suffering shame that should have been ours. It's there that we can look into His eyes by faith and see the torture and the loneliness. But see His love? That's for you. As that scene does the work by faith in our hearts, we come to this place to say, my God. It's then this prayer that comes more natural and more easy. No longer is it a contrived exercise tacked on to an otherwise secular existence. It's a part of the fiber of our being. Paul goes further when he says, my God shall supply... God's relationship was not only personal but providential. God was personally involved in the circumstances of his life, for He was at hand. Philippians four or five, in many ways, God works all ca- all things according to the counsel of His own will. In Colossians 1, 16 and 17, For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things are created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And in Him all things consist or hold together. It's this God that we can consider who shall supply. It's the one who made all, who provides all, who holds all things together, that brings us a comfort. Acts 17, verse 24, As Lord of heaven and earth, God doesn't need anything. He gives to all life and breath and all things and is not far from any one of us. In fact, in Him we live and move and have our very existence. He sends rain and fruitful seasons and satisfies the hearts of men with food and gladness. Acts 14 and 17. And you know, Paul's planning reveals how extensively he considered God's providence to be in the affairs that he planned. In at least eight instances, he recognized that circumstances were in God's hands. And with God's permission, he would reach some objective or destination, Acts chapter 18 and verse 21. But took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you God willing. That's when he was planning to go to the feast in Jerusalem, trying to make it back. And he acknowledges, if God is willing, then I will return. Romans chapter 1 and verse 10. Making requests if by some means. Now at last I may find a way in Jerusalem. The will of God to come to you. And lastly in 1 Corinthians 4.19 on this point. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. So consistently Paul, even in this age of miracles, is saying, I'm recognizing that the will of God, His permissive will, his, His sovereignty, yes, but His providence as well will shape the outcome of an objective. This is what we, what gives, gave Paul a peaceful, easy feeling. It was that sense that God was in control and was shaping the outcomes that would be for God's will and that Paul was adequate. In those situations. In Philippians 4 11 through 13, let's consider this. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to, full, to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things. You know the passage. Through what? Through who? To can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. this It's unfortunate that this passage has been so plucked from its context. And in the, shall we say it, the positive mental attitude movement, it's been pulled out and says whatever you set your mind to, Christ is going to give you power to accomplish it. Well, that's just not what it's saying here. As a matter of fact, it's quite notably different yes we can we can accomplish and we can abound in Christ and we can do all things but there's a context here the context is the circumstances that Paul was in I know how to abound and how to be abased well why was he being abased if he could could make kind of like harness the power of Jesus for him not to be abased you see It's more than that. It's Paul saying, I am equal to my circumstances in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gives me power in my circumstances. If Paul were to come back today, I wonder if he would be considered a bit fanatical and out of touch with reality. The American mind says there's nothing more important than comfort, and pleasure, and power, and wealth. And that's not just an American mind. We see through history and the cycles of history that's dominantly the the rising of a society, a civilization, and the decline of a civilization even out of a a context of Jehovah God there. General goodness and and courage and inner characteristics and attributes are lost. And I'm wondering if that's increasingly the case in our own country, the United States of America, that it's so much more audaciously in our face of anti-God, anti-Jesus, anti-spiritual, true spiritual, biblical considerations. Paul sets it straight that we're not to be primarily considered with our own comfort. That's not our purpose. If we are in pain, God wants to know. But our purpose is to be about service to our God and being like Jesus. And so, this idea of my God shall supply, we have to ask the question what is it that we want our God to supply? Do we want Him to supply our every desire? Do we want Him to supply our every wish? I, I, I remember eight years old in a small town in Alabama growing up. that close to the little um, town square, there was this tiny little Suzuki shop. I always loved motorcycles. My children don't need to hear that, but they knew that. But I remember being eight years old and asked my dad to take me in to the Suzuki shop so I could sit on the big bikes and the small bikes. And there was this little 90cc Suzuki motorcycle. It was shiny. You could smell the rubber of the brand new tires and a little bit of oil. I still remember that like that was yesterday. And I sat on that and held the handlebars, the grips and working the clutch and the brake and just dreaming that, you know what, I can't imagine anything better than having this 90cc motorcycle. And you know what, I went home and I prayed I even remember Disney's version of acquisition of that which you want because I remember G- what Jiminy Cricket said. He said in Pinocchio, when you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. When you wish upon a star, you're what? Your dreams come true. And so I dreamed and I wished. I thought that would be the best gift I could ever get as an eight year old. And you know what? I didn't get that motorcycle. It was near and dear to my heart. But that was from the perspective of thinking that such an acquisition would bring me the most joy. And I learned some lessons from that. Number one, it's not God's job to give me everything that I want. And I'm certainly not going to wish upon a pagan star. My needs and my wants, I'm going to go to Jehovah God. And I'm going to tell Him what my needs are. And even what my wants are. But I'm going to rely on Him to provide. Because He says, my God shall supply every need, need of yours. If we live for Him, will He not freely supply us with all of our needs? Yeah. Yes, if we talk, talk to Him about them in the right way. Prayer is meaningless without divine providence. If there's no real action on His part to change things, there's little reason for prayer on man's part. You know, it often can happen that Christians are confused in their misunderstanding between the miraculous and the providential. Let me make it short. We can acknowledge that the first century in the New Testament had a distinctiveness as it relates to miracles, and that the purpose for which those miracles that we read of there has been has been fulfilled because we have His completed Word. And so we have this category that I believe 1,000% in, and that is the providence of God. And that it's easy to categorize, well, since there's no more miraculous, which God directly intervened in in a supernatural way, that it's therefore providence, and it's given, and I'm just saying the mindset, it's given about the same uh, attitude as if it doesn't exist at all. It's some mystery box without a powerful God who is accomplishing in that providence. You follow me? Just because I agree that it's providence... Doesn't mean that God is not active. You see, it's easy to put it in that mystery box and say, well, I don't know how, and then treat it as if He's not doing anything anyway. But Paul says, my God shall supply every need of yours. Behind the providence of God is an all-powerful, all-loving God whom we have access to and who wants to help in the ways that He chooses. Who works all things for good to those who love Him. That sounds like that's an ongoing work of God. Not that the universe has been wound up and it's going like a clock just keep ticking on its own. Paul's prayers once again demonstrate That the outcome, even in that age of the first century, the outcome could be impacted by doors open, or even His willingness to speak the message of the gospel. That that was malleable. And that was an intersection between God's purposes, His sovereignty, the will of man to coordinate together, to be receptive to His open doors and His blessings. My God shall supply every need of yours. Prayer assumes that God is active. In Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. If God is not a personal God who listens to and communes with us Able to do what we ask and merciful to act in our best interest, why even talk to him? Even Jesus prayed. Isn't that astounding? He who created the universe, who upholds all things by his power, and all things consist for him and to him. Even in the flesh, Jesus Christ prayed to His Father. Was that just for some emotional release? Was that just to provide an example for us? I don't believe so. Jesus Christ lived in a world as a man restricting His access to, as a man, the power that could personally benefit Him to a large degree. He lived like us. So he lives to give us an example to pray, but it's an authentic example because Jesus lived with a sense of need for his Father because of his confidence in the Father to provide. And you know, so much of this is, it comes down to a thanksgiving. Could it be That if we don't believe that God is blessing us in active, in His providence, in the ways that He does today, could that be one of the problems driving ingratitude? There is no gratitude where there is a sense of self and self sufficiency or entitlement. I deserve this and I'm going to do it myself and whatever came, it's mine. But when we see God's blessing that He is personally interested and that He is personally blessing each one of us, that I can say thank you, God. And when we're singing songs like Behold Our God, He's not so remote as to be sealed off from our heart, our spirits, and our soul. He is moved by those who are moved by Him. His ear is inclined toward those who would humbly see His power. And He's willing to bless those who see Him for who He is. We must believe that God is not only great and good, but that he's one trustworthy of all that we are. We must trust him no matter what our need. And Paul didn't always get what he asked for. As we close. Of course. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, lest I should become exalted beyond measure by uh, above measure by the abundance of the revelation a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Paul even ceased to pray for its removal because he saw that there was a beneficial outcome towards its continuation. It was thorn in the flesh, whatever it may have been. And he even goes on to say that I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he's saying, even in my weakness even in my sense of need, where I have prayed to God, I'm going to see that as an opportunity to magnify the power of God, of Jesus Christ, who empowers me, that I continue joyfully on the path, joyfully running the race set before Him, keeping the eyes on Jesus, looking to Him, the author, and finisher of his faith. That's what he did. So, does God have a sense of our need? He knows. But his knowing does not provide us all of the benefit unless we approach him with our hearts in the way that Paul did and say... My God shall supply all your need in Christ by His glory. So we can say, with affirmation of of our own faith and with one another, and with one voice, Lord, I believe. Yes, I believe. I cannot doubt or be deceived. The eye that sees each sparrow fall, his unseen hand is in it all. My God shall supply your every need, my every need. He loves us, He's given His Son for us, He's promised us access to all blessings in Jesus Christ spiritual blessings. Let us see him for who he is without entitlement and without a sense of omnipotent self, but see ourself as his creation, endowed with sonship and daughtership in Jesus Christ to bring proclaiming glory and honor to his name in this life and in the life to come. You listen so well, and thank you for your patience this morning. We're going to stand If you need to make your heart and life right in any way this morning, and you'd like our help, we ask you to come as we stand and sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com questions at thebibleway.com We'd love to have you in person Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.